it's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we wrap things up with Football Asia in the company of Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast. Great to have you back, Paolo. Welcome back, Paul. Simon, Alex, great to have you guys back as well. Hope you're well. We are. We're both well. Uh, Let's crack on. The headlines across the globe at the moment, of course, are currently being made by Saudi Arabia's massive investment into football, not just their domestic league, but the World Cup bid and everything that goes with it and their plans for the Women's League as well. It's attracted an awful lot of criticism, of course, particularly in Europe. In your uh, opinion and your contacts, having used your contacts in that part of the world, what do the Saudis make of that pushback? Do they care or not? Well, first of all, I mean, where do we even start with everything that's happened in Saudi Arabia since we last spoke? Um, (laughs) That was a couple of months ago now, and boy, has the landscape changed. Um, I think for the most part, they aren't particularly perturbed with what the rest of the world thinks. I don't think they care. If we sort of look outside of football as well, the Crown Prince MBS did that interview recently and was asked about sports washing and what was his answer? If, if sports washing is going to add one or two percent to my GDP, then I'm just going to keep sports washing. I don't think they particularly care what term the Western world throws at them. Um, you, you mentioned the women's game there. There's been some some articles and some some criticisms of their their push into to women's football as well. And of course, we remember the the furor over the the visit Saudi sponsorship at the start of the year with the the women's World Cup as well. So as you said reading some stuff from that part of the world using my contacts and and speaking to people not just in saudi arabia but in the gulf more generally as well i think there's a level of frustration at the criticism as they see it they're criticized when they do nothing talking in particular now about women's football as well but they're, they're criticized when they did nothing in women's football and now they're criticized when they actually do something and invest heavily so as they see it they're damned if they do they're damned if they don't So from their point of view, they're just going to do it and to hell with what the rest of the world thinks, basically. And intriguingly, I did notice a few days ago that that uh, Visit Saudi sponsorship has now been taken up by the Asian Football Confederation, which is interesting and leads us into our next question, Broski. Yeah, Paul, look, I mean... With obviously with 2030 and what's happening there uh, with the World Cup and, and about 17 countries hosting it, it, it obviously opened up the door for Asia. So I think it, which only lasted this hope a couple minutes that we could put a bid in, but Saudi very quickly uh, distinguished that with uh, with their bid for 2034. I mean, would it be a wise move, you know, for Australia to even think about you know putting in a bid given Saudi already has and they've got the backing from Asia? It's a good question because it's it's really something that no one's talking about. We're still talking about this idea that Australia might bid for for twenty thirty four, which I think we all get behind that idea. But if we if we look at it geopolitically within Asia as well, and don't get me wrong, I hate how much politics is intertwined with football, particularly in Asia. It seems almost some people in Asia prefer the game of politics than they prefer the game. Of football, but that is the reality in in this part of the world, and we we have to play into that. We have to be mature in our in our positioning within the region, and we have to take that into consideration when we're making these decisions. It's clear this process that I use in inverted commas has been designed to deliver Saudi Arabia the World Cup. The the fact that it was so well coordinated that FIFA announced their um, 2030 plans, and then within an hour or two, Saudi Arabia 
had uh, <laughs> uh, uh, unveiled their plans for the World Cup with slick video presentations as well. Within an hour of that, the AFC had come out and fully endorsed the bid. That's not a coincidence. This was all orchestrated behind the scenes for one purpose, and that's to deliver the World Cup to Saudi Arabia. Now, does Australia want to be the ones politically to go against that? Uh, they need, I think it was 105 votes to to secure the World Cup from the member associations. But my last mail is they've pretty much got already just over 100 uh, member associations that have confirmed that they will support their bid. The writing's on the wall. This World Cup is going to Saudi Arabia, whether we like it or not. So politically, it's probably not in Australia's best interests to, to pick a fight with it's not only picking a fight with Saudi Arabia, it's effectively picking a fight with the AFC and FIFA as well. And while our relations in the region have improved, always bubbling beneath the surface is that sort of old suspicion of Australia from when we first joined AFC. And it wouldn't take much for it to resurface, going against the wishes of pretty much the entire region. Probably wouldn't do us any favours within the region as well. And isn't it great to see that FIFA's changed and the game has changed <laughs> in the last few years? <laughs> uh, let's move on, Paolo. Uh, the Asian World Cup qualifiers, the first round of which uh, resumed today. Uh, there is Australian interest, of course, in the outcome of the Maldives against Bangladesh tie because the winners mm. uh, will go through into Australia's group and they will face the Socceroos at uh, Amy Park next month. Is it advantage Bangladesh after the first leg draw in the Maldives? I think it is probably just. It's still probably a flip of a coin, but I think any of the teams who played away in that first leg who now return home with scores level, I think it is in their advantage. So I think I think it is advantage Bangladesh in that one. I think we're all sort of. I think I speak for everyone in, involved in Australian football, and I think I think we all want a, a Maldives away trip um, we've just got to find someone to, to pay for it so maybe uh hutchie can send the global game over there or something for yes a, uh, come on a, hutchie. A global game on location <laughs> in the maldives you can come with us hutchie it'll be fine <laughs> uh go on broski and talking of the uh, the socceroos do we have confirmation yet on a venue for uh, for the away match against palestine i, I read today that uh, algeria have offered to host that match yeah, not only have they offered, they've announced that they are hosting the match. I haven't got official confirmation yet from the likes of FIFA, AFC, FA. Um, as I said, the Algerian FA have announced that they will host and cover all the costs for all Palestinian games, uh, World Cup qualifiers and, and any friendlies that they've got coming up um, until they can return to, to play matches in Palestine, which does look like it's going to be a, a long way off, unfortunately. Um, I did reach out to FA and AFC for confirmation, never heard back from from AFC. The only thing that FA did say is that uh, it would be at a neutral venue. They just didn't confirm where it was going to be. But it looks for all um, certainty that it is going to be in Algeria, which will be a hostile atmosphere because there's a special relationship between Palestinians and the Algerians. They support each other as if it was their own team. So I'd expect a full house and a pretty raucous, hostile atmosphere from the Algerian fans. So that's going to be a, an interesting one for Australia. Interesting. Um, now, the other Asian World Cup first round qualifiers, uh, Singapore, well, they were probably on a bit of a knife edge after only edging out. Uh, actually, I think it was a draw, wasn't it? The first leg between Singapore and Guam? Or, or did Singapore two -one. edge it? 2 1. 2 1, Singapore. Yeah. Uh, but they've got through the Singaporeans. That, that, was, uh, that must have been that squeaky bum time over in Guam for them. <laughs> it was. Uh, that was that match was this afternoon. I watched a little bit of that match. They made hard work of 
the the match against Guam. Probably harder work than they expected to. They dominated the first leg and probably should have taken a, a bigger lead into the second leg. Guam scored in the 90th minute to make it a little bit a uh, little bit edgy in that uh, that second leg. I think they only scored their their goal today in in the 80th minute. So it was um, squeaky bum time, as you said. But they are officially the first team through from the first round into the second round. Singapore. Okay, and in the friendlies this week, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann finally got a win with South Korea. And and what about Japan? I want to ask you about this just to finish off. With the Asian Cup just around the corner, uh, the Japanese, still under Hashimo Moriyasu, of course, they are racking up some unbelievable results ahead of that tournament. Here's their last few results. They beat El Salvador 6-0, Peru 4-1, Germany 4-1 away from home, Turkey 4-2 and Canada 4-1. Uh, they play Tunisia later on today. So clearly this is a much more expansive Japanese team than the ones we've seen before under Moriyasu. It's not the Moriyasu Japan side that we're used to over the last couple of years. We know that and we've spoken about it in the past about sort of his defensive pragmatic style of play and that they're now this sort of swashbuckling Japanese side. I mean, they, they still have times that 4-1 result against Germany. They scored twice late in, in stoppage time. They played very much the same way that they did at the World Cup defensively on the break at about 20, 30% possession, but they still got the, the 4-1 win. And what's impressive is what he's been able to do in these friendlies is really integrate a lot of uh, new blood into this side. He's trying to build depth and he's using these friendlies to expose a lot more players before the Asian Cup and World Cup qualifiers kick off. Um, and as you said, with the, the Asian Cup around the corner, for me, they're clear favourites going into that tournament, given the form line of, uh, of all the teams at the moment. So, um, yeah, Japan are looking very good. Brilliant stuff as ever, Paolo. Great to have you back, mates. We'll uh, talk to you next week. See you, mate. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it.